This podcast is designed for anyone currently with kids or considering becoming a parent. Created to inform, inspire and support you on your parenthood journey. And so, from an in-depth psychotherapeutic understanding of current child development, we bring you Parenting the Next Generation. How not to fuck up your kids. Hello and welcome to Parenting the Next Generation, How Not to Fuck Up Your Kids with me, Katie Goldfinch and Kitty Hagenbach. Hello, Kitty. Hi, Katie. Hi. So Kitty is a psychotherapist and has been for 30 years. She's the mother of a dear friend of mine and also a dear friend to me as well. And I'm very excited to be working on this podcast with her. So am I, Katie. It's really fun to be here with you, especially as you're now at the zone when you're thinking about to parent or not to parent and how it might be if you were pregnant. Exactly. So our previous two episodes, we spoke about the why, why we want to have children and the preparation for having children. And those two zones for me were quite sensitive because they're applicable to where I'm at in my life. But I'm pleased to say that we're moving on to in utero aka or ie preggers so kitty a person has found themselves pregnant and a whole new adventure is about to begin where to start i think the very starting place is to think about your baby and knowing that your baby is conscious and aware already and recording their experience so this might seem like a really big challenge for people but it's helpful to know so you might be thrilled to be pregnant you might not be thrilled to be pregnant. So when you discover that you're pregnant, the kind of energy that you experience, the thoughts that you have, these already begin to imprint your baby. So if it's all brilliant and you're excited, marvellous. And I don't think it's a good idea to wait till 12 weeks to tell people that you're pregnant. I don't mean the whole world, but your nearest and dearest. It's a tradition not to say anything till 12 weeks because most carriages take part within the first 12 weeks. But I think if you have a miscarriage in that period of time, you're going to be upset anyway. So sometimes people don't say anything because they don't want to admit that they've lost a baby. They don't want to be ashamed. There's no shame in this. This is just what happens. And you could do with some support. I think miscarriage is really undervalued, I want to say. People don't understand what a difficult experience it can be. Mm. So come in contact with your baby. Delight in your baby if that's what you're doing. If it's difficult, if you're shocked or whatever, then say, whoa, this is a bit of a shock. I didn't expect you to be there right now. I just need some time and whatever you're going to talk about after that. But know that your relationship with your baby is already important. So the baby in the womb is going through what you're going through. And you can't hide that. And so acknowledging the presence of the baby is really important. Yeah. And I would imagine if you are waiting until 12 weeks to tell other people, there may be some kind of, I don't know, not denial, but it's not fully accepting the presence if you're waiting for 12 weeks to fully announce it. So that's interesting. I've never really considered that before. Well, it's a lack of trust, isn't it, in this baby thriving? And the baby may or may not thrive, most likely will pregnancies do thrive you know it's a kind of an insurance against losing the baby quite often it's quite superstitious almost I mustn't say anything and I don't agree with it because I think the baby will delight in your being happy about it and sharing this lovely news because for most people it is lovely news but not for everybody mm. 
And so if you're delighted or dismayed, either way, the baby is recording that information on some level. At a very unconscious level, yeah. Mm. But it does begin for them to form their sort of experience of themselves. So if someone is pregnant and delighted to be pregnant, and that's a really lovely imprint, then that baby can just be there and be happy and just grow. They know how to grow. If it's a sort of shock, then it's like, whoa, and a slight shock for the embryo. But you can talk to the baby, you can explain things to the baby, and then they can, oh, okay, it's not about me, because they think it's about them. So the baby in the womb is not separate from the mother. They have themselves, but they also have the other, if you like. And these two merge together and they don't know what is them and what is the mother. So what are the feelings from the mother? What are their own feelings? So it's overlaid. They get overlaid by the mother's experience, which is why during pregnancy, it's important to look after yourself well. And if you have difficulties and upsets, you know, find someone to help you with them. Mm. So just to come back a little bit, because I wanted to talk about the life intelligence that we spoke about in our previous episode. Now, if you were to miscarry or you were to abort a child, I would imagine that there's an important phase of grieving that needs to take place before becoming pregnant again. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. When somebody loses a baby from one reason or another, it's important to grieve that life that came because it's already life. So, you know, grieve that life that came and spend some time. You might even name a baby with a non-specific name, but don't rush into the next baby because if you quickly think you're going to get over your grief by getting pregnant again, the next baby coming into the womb is going to feel that. It's all subtle, it's all unconscious, but it's all patching together the child's idea about themselves. And you can't replace one child with another, you know, especially if somebody has a stillbirth and they quickly have another child. That next child never finds a space because they're a replacement baby. You can't replace it. So, you know, life happens. And I think the more that we can get comfortable with recognizing it has its ups and downs, there's such a thing as loss and grief, and we go through the process of grieving, and then we can go on to have another baby happily. Now, when we conceive again, often we're nervous that we might have another miscarriage. But as much as possible, just, you know, trust the process of life and as much as possible relax into the pregnancy. And some people have numerous miscarriages and it's incredibly distressing. But the world at large doesn't really empathise with that. Mm. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's some kind of shame around it, isn't there, in our culture? I think people are very uncomfortable talking about deeply emotional issues, grief, Mm. loss. Certainly there seems to be shame, but there is no shame. Quite often people I've spoken to, women have said, oh, my body let me down. We don't know all the different aspects of what happens in a pregnancy. A lot of pregnancy is mysterious. A lot of conception is mysterious. We know the sperm and the egg come together, but a lot more goes on that is mysterious. And I think we need to be able to stay in the mystery and open up to welcoming this baby and trusting this baby. And if all goes well, that's great. If there's a loss, then we need then, I think, to be able to to feel the loss rather than taking the pill and trying to pretend we're not unhappy Mm. or covering it up in some way. So in general, I would say we're not good at really feeling our emotion and the fact that it's not only okay to feel your emotion, but it's actually important. And other people might think, oh, you're making a fuss. I myself once had a miscarriage a long time ago and um, I was devastated. And in Ireland, it wasn't seen as a bad thing because there were too many children because there was no birth control at the time. 
But I was devastated. And I remember friends saying, oh, for goodness sake, you know, snap out of it. But I was incredibly upset. Mm. And did you get support with that difficulty? No, no. With that upset, Ireland was in the dark ages then, as was I. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so moving on to the environment that you're bringing the baby into. So... The emotional well-being of the mother is really important because all of the messages are passed from the mother into the baby. Let's talk about that, the emotional well-being of the mother. Yeah, so I think that it's important to think about pregnancy being the most natural thing in the world. And hopefully it's very stress-free and enjoyable. But maybe that something happens during the pregnancy, maybe there's a loss of a parent or some massive upset it's really helpful to talk to the baby and say, I am really upset because this has happened. It's nothing to do with you. You haven't caused it in any way. And I'm so happy that you're there, if that's the truth. So you are going to have things happen during pregnancy, but the baby will be fine if you just communicate what's going on. And even later in life, you might reiterate that. So things are going to happen from time to time. So in general, it's like live your life, enjoy it, But try to keep stress to a minimum, because if you're in a constant state of stress, because perhaps you've got a very stressful job, you're rushing to get to the end of a project, or you're concerned about finances and how you're going to provide for this child, that constant stress will up your cortisol level, which is the stress hormone in your body as a mother, and then that gets passed to the baby. So it was thought that the placenta was a barrier to protect the baby from the mother's emotions or anything that's going on health-wise with the mother. But in fact, the opposite is true. It's an organ of communication. So the mother's thoughts and feelings and experience is communicated in the molecules in the blood. And so that's how the communication takes place. So all this is happening at a super unconscious level, but it is the unconscious that runs our lives. So it's important. Mm. I would imagine as well that some mothers suddenly panic and think, oh my goodness, I need to get onto a really healthy diet. I need to change all the things and I need to buy that house that I've always wanted to buy. I need to suddenly go on a juice cleanse and do all these things. And whilst that might be creating a, in inverted commas, better environment for said baby, if you're stressed about that, that's not helpful. Yeah, I think it's try to approach this in balance. So of course it's good to eat a healthy diet not to drink and not to smoke and not to take any drugs of any sort, really, allopathic drugs as well. You know, try to keep the environment as pure as you can. And you might need to think about, actually, can we all fit in this flat or do we need to make a change or how am I going to organise my work in the future? But not in a panic, you know, just like take a bit of time, think about it and realise that actually mostly babies are pretty robust They manage a lot of things, so peaks and troughs are fine. It's just if you have consistent stress. And, you know, stay in touch with your partner if you have one and talk about stuff together and think about, okay, well, what's really important and what's not so important? Mm. And take out the stuff that's not so important. Mm. Because sometimes we get the idea of things that are important that really don't matter. So what matters for your baby is, are you able to take some time every day to be present with your baby? 20 minutes, half an hour, a little fetal love break, as they call it in the States, to just calm your own life down. Remember, you've got another life growing inside you. And other than that, you know, live your life, enjoy your life, you know, but spend some time relaxing. It's very celebrated in our culture to work right up until your due date and get back to work as soon as possible and get back into your size eight genes. 
how does one manage that in our current climate? If you want to be good at your job, you want to be a good partner, but you also want to be a perfect mother or a good mother, good enough mother. I know you'd prefer me to say, Kitty. I suppose you really need to start considering putting one part of yourself to one side when you're looking at becoming a mother. Well, I think you probably need to look at the whole picture first of all and about what's important and it is an inconvenient truth I think that I really believe we need to be there for our babies when they're born and at least nine months afterwards in order for that baby to be able to come into the world to be held safely and securely to have a consistent warm environment for them to grow in I mean up to three would be better if you could stay with your child at three But it depends entirely on your circumstance. It also depends on whether you can manage that or whether you find it utterly depressing. So it's not about one size fits all, but ideally for the baby, they need a continuum of the pregnancy. So if you can plan, if it's possible to plan, not to go back to work for at least nine months. I mean, paternity leave is available. It's partly paid, partly not paid. But maybe that's a priority because if you invest into your child's early life, your child's likely to develop really well and be with a lot less complication than if you don't do that. So young babies ideally need a lot of connection, a lot of holding and a kind of consistent experience of repetitive day in, day out life. It's really boring if you've just had a big job and you've given it up and you're suddenly reduced to spending all day with a baby. But this is where you need to find friends to hang out with and not spend all your time isolated by yourself. Because some people stop work, have a baby and then they're isolated at home. And that is very difficult. Mm. And lots of people will buy a property because they think that's an important thing to do and move out into the place where they could afford to buy and be completely isolated and not have a tribe or any layers of support. So we've spoken about tribe in previous episodes. Would you say that that is one of the biggest sort of preparation areas? And if you are finding yourself pregnant and you haven't done any preparation prior, that's a good place to start. Definitely think about who is going to be on your support team. You might have a family close by who only can't wait for you to have a baby and very happy to step in there, but you might not have anybody. So who is going to be on your support team? It's really important to find somebody to support you, some bodies. You need at least two layers of support and the partner also needs support. So to parent alone, you definitely need support. It's very difficult. And even parenting in a partnership, you still need support. So I think that sometimes, as you say, people think, oh, I've got to move to the country now, I'm pregnant, and move out to some village in the middle of nowhere, and even more isolation. So I think think more broadly about what do you as a couple or as an individual need in order to be able to be present during this all-important early years. So the most important time is conception to two years old, the first thousand days of life sets the the motherboard but it sets your idea about yourself for your life the influence this period has is lifelong Mm. you know this is not just in the moment it's a lifelong investment for your child's future from a point of view of health and development and mental well-being Mm. and so to come back to well-being then let's talk about the hormones and the experience of the body for the pregnant mother So I think that personally, I was very fortunate. I just loved being pregnant. It was the best thing ever. I was thrilled to bits having previously thought I never wanted children. And once I'd got over that hurdle, I couldn't have been happier or healthier. So it was amazing. And I was 42. So it was brilliant. Not quite 42, 41, I think. 
Not everybody has that glorious experience that I had. Some people find it very difficult with the hormonal changes in the body. And some people might just suffer from morning sickness. Some people might feel quite unwell through the pregnancy. That's really tough if you do. But if it's the case, then ask for help. Wherever you might look for help, ask for help. And be a bit gentle on yourself, I think. I remember you telling me once about some work that you did in the Baby's No programme where a mother had a hand on her back and then another hand on their back. Do you want to tell us about that? I love that story. (laughs) I love this story too, and I love remembering it actually. So it was on a part of a two-day parenting program that I ran for many years. And it was a single mum who was very under-supported and the baby was incredibly distressed and crying and crying and crying. So I asked the mum who was holding her crying baby, would it be okay if somebody put their hand on her back? And she said yes. And as soon as that happened, you could see the mother relax a little bit. And of course, the baby start to slow down the crying. And then I asked if the next person could have their hand on the back. Until we had a whole chain of people supporting, the whole room was eventually supporting this baby. Baby completely calmed down, went to sleep, The mother was just sitting there in tears of joy, really, because she was feeling this support. So the support is simply by feeling another human being who's willing to be in support, especially they themselves are supported. So now we had about 20 layers of support. And the effect in the room and the energy in the room, because babies are going to respond to energy. So support is really important. So whilst you're pregnant... Find support for yourself in pregnancy, someone to talk to about stuff. Mm. So, you know, just to really organise support for yourself, whether it's physical support or emotional support, going it alone is very tough and therefore then tough for your baby because they can feel when you're not supported. Mm. So let's talk about preparing for birth and how to go about that because there's so much information out there. And if you've never done it before, it must be completely terrifying. It doesn't have to be terrifying. I think some people are very concerned about giving birth. But in actual fact, it's the most natural thing in the world. We've done it for eons. It's a very natural process. It is hard work. It is a bit painful. Once it's over, it's over, providing there's been no intervention. So in thinking about preparing for birth, the mother needs to consider for herself what would be the best environment available to her. Is that going to be at home? Is that going to be in a hospital? Is it going to be in a high-intense hospital? Is it going to be in a birth unit? What would be ideal? Because the important thing is the mother feels supported and safe and relaxed in giving birth because you can't give birth unless you are actually relaxed. And if you look at what animals do, they go and hide under a bush somewhere quiet. And if something gets noisy near there, they move to somewhere quiet. So it's a very internal process giving birth. And the more that you can feel safe and secure and well prepared for that, the better. And have with you whoever you think would be the most supportive person, which might not be the father of your child. It may be somebody else. And it's about where the mother can feel most at peace. Mm. And if you have a home birth, you obviously would have an independent midwife and you have access to transfer to a hospital. Because sometimes it gets complicated and there needs to be medical intervention. But in general, in preparing for birth, it's good to prepare for a natural birth. So whilst you're pregnant, what do you need to prepare for in terms of the birth? What decisions need to be made beforehand? Well, the first thing is where you're going to have the baby. There's quite a lot of choice, I think, in this country. And who you'd like to have with you. 
and inform yourself about birth. Don't listen to horror tales because there are plenty of people who like to talk about that. Most births are fairly straightforward and natural. You need to prepare your partner who's going to be with you in the birth. So as I said, ideally you'd plan for a natural birth and you'd be asked to write your birth plan. Um, there are all sorts of great things you can do like hypnobirthing and you can prepare really well and the NCT offer a very good preparation and also with the NCT you meet a group of people who afterwards are just your best pals and are very, very helpful because you're all going through the same stage of mothering. I found them fantastic, I must say. And some people have lifelong group friends for that. And for those who don't know, what is the NCT? The National Childbirth Trust. And so you begin the relationship with the NCT when you're pregnant? Absolutely. You and your partner probably go. It's going to be a group of people in your area, sort of in the next few streets, all come together, probably about six people, maybe a few more, and get to know them beforehand. And then I can remember the first person out of our group to have the baby, people say, oh, how was it? How was it? What was it like? You know? <laughs> and then all ask each other, well, this is happening. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? It was really, really helpful. And we'd meet up socially because you need the social interaction afterwards. So during the pregnancy, you can do a course with the NCT. I think you have to pay for it, but it's not very much money. It's a charity. You know, prepare your birth plan, which you'll be invited to do with whoever you're working with. And then you have to prepare to let go of it. So things may not go to plan at all. If you have fear about giving birth, I think it's really important to feel into your fear and try to release as much as possible of that. I think that's really, really helpful. The other thing to look into is how were you born Ask your parents, if you can, anything about your own birth, because that may have an impact on how you give birth. And if you're more aware of that, then that's going to be helpful for you to be able to clear anything that may be in the way. I love this idea of preparation versus surrender and sort of being as aware of all of the different outcomes as possible, but also being cool with the fact that none of those might come into fruition or you might not find yourself in any of those situations. Yeah, and it's not a failure to have a cesarean. It's not a failure to need intervention. It's just better for you, for your body and for your baby if there's no intervention. Because as soon as there's medical intervention, often leads to the next intervention and the next intervention. So if you're well prepared, if you're able to relax into the birth, it's very likely that you have a natural birth and it goes well. And the moment that's over, the pain goes away. You forget all about it. You've got this gorgeous little baby and, you know, it's history now, whatever the pain was that you went through. So giving birth is quite hard work. It is painful and it's a finite amount of time. Yeah, it's a really good way of looking at it. It's impermanent. It's arduous during it. For some people, it's orgasmic, isn't it? And I love this yeah, idea. Yeah, some people do absolutely have that experience. It wasn't my experience, I must say. I found it quite hard work. But it's also incredible privilege to give birth, I think. I mean, what an amazing experience for us women to go through. Incredible. You must just feel like a powerhouse. You must be so alive in your body. And the bits of your body that move out of the way so that this baby can move through, it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I think beforehand, when you just have the bump, I can't imagine that's going to turn into a baby. It's very hard to get that sort of really deep understanding. This bump's going to become a little person in a moment. I mean, they're already a little person, of course, but they're actually going to be a little person that you're going to see eyeball to eyeball. And it's kind of surprisingly difficult to imagine it. And then it's totally marvellous. I mean, you might be absolutely exhausted afterwards, but still it's completely marvellous when your baby appears because really what you want is a healthy baby. 
however the baby arrives, you want a healthy baby and a healthy mum. And it's just going to be a lot simpler for everybody if it's a natural birth. And when you say that, a natural birth, do you mean with no drugs? Do you mean with no medical intervention? I mean, if you can have a vaginal birth and you might want to have an epidural because it gets too much for you, just remember that all the medication you put into your body also goes to your baby. And that baby's much smaller, so they get a higher dose of it. So if you can do an unmedicated natural birth, great. You know, if you can use breathing and hypnobirthing techniques, great. If you need some more support, have some more support. There's no point in pushing yourself beyond your limit. Some births or labours are very long, some are short, some are incredibly quick. They're almost shocking, they're so quick. And you won't know what's going to happen until the time. So to some extent, you prepare and you set up your birth plan. And particularly, you ask your birth partner to fight your corner and speak up for you so you might want a bit more time before you maybe being asked to have a cesarean or something but at the end of the day you need to surrender to the doctor who's finally going to say we need to do this now maybe mm. use forceps maybe use von twos maybe have an emergency cesarean because if the baby goes into distress they're going to know that and then you have to act quickly mm-hmm. but you know again remember you know you're well prepared your body's strong if you're healthy just go with it mm. So in our next episode, we talk about birth specifically. So we're going to go much more into detail about giving birth and the different ways of doing that. But whilst we're talking about being pregnant, there's lots of, well, there's nine months to prepare. So you can look at other traditions, can't you, in different ways of giving birth. Would there be any traditions that you would recommend personally taking a look at? Well, one of the things I think, and this is before you go into labour, is to talk amongst yourselves as to whether you're willing to keep the grandparents out. (laughs) Mm. Keep everybody out of the room or the home or the hospital or whatever it might be. Take some time with your baby yourselves. You'll never get this opportunity again. So you need to have that conversation beforehand. You need to have that conversation beforehand. And quite often grandparents are horrified by this. But this is your baby, it's your choice. Your baby doesn't belong to the world, doesn't belong to the grandparents. So this is, again, finding your voice to speak up for what feels good for you. And a lot of people are horrified when I suggest it. And I can't tell you how many people have come back and say, thank you so much for advising that. We did that and it was magical. Because the best time for bonding is immediately after birth. And if you have people rushing in and wanting to hold the baby and pass the baby like a pass the parcel, that's not going to help bonding. It's very disorienting to be born. Babies need time to land into this environment and to be just quiet and held. You know, if all is well and you're healthy and your baby's healthy, it's a delicious time. And it's precious beyond words because you'll never, ever, ever get it back. Mm. So those conversations are good to have whilst you're pregnant. Definitely. With the support network that you have that will be expecting to see the child once they're born. It's also talking about, with your birthing partner, how you want to go about giving birth. It's also a good time to start talking about parent preparation. I've heard some people talking about um, managing sort of sleep patterns and things like that, and you can get really into really controlling the structure of the life that the baby's going to have as soon as it comes out. Obviously, you can overthink and overprepare, as we've discussed on previous episodes. But in terms of preparing to parent, what discussions are good to have at this stage whilst you're pregnant and with child? 
I think that the mother needs to be given a lot of support directly after the birth at home so that your partner will be willing to do the cooking and do the washing up for a bit. And actually the job of the father or the partner is very much to support the mother to be a mother and support the mother and baby dyad. Because mothers and babies are actually meant to be together. It's getting a bit unpopular now these days because of all the changes that are taking part in society. But for your baby's well-being, they need this continuum. They need the mother to feel supported so that they can be there for the baby. And these are precious early days, precious early days. And so it's about, you know, setting up that expectation that you'd like your partner to, you know, do the domestic side of things for a little while and to, yeah, relish this early time. And time will come when, of course, you'll be taking over again or sharing the chores again. But it's really good for people to know the role that's expected of them after the birth. And of course, you know, I've been to parties and people have been there with their one day old baby. And there's been rock music and I'm just in shock and horror. And this mother I spoke to was so disconnected, so out to lunch. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. And I said, really not fine, because this is very, very deep bass music really reverberating way, way, way too much for a sensitive newborn baby. You know, this baby's been cuddled up in your womb for nine months. It just needs a bit of quiet and peace. You can certainly go out for a walk or something, but not to be suddenly cast into incredible um, environment like that. Mm. So taking your time together. I mean, there is paternal leave now. So I think it's a period of time again, which is so precious. But just to talk about what you both would like, what to expect, what not to expect. Mm. It's also an important time to start that connection as well, isn't it? I remember um, previous discussions you and I have had about writing letters to your baby. And yeah, let's talk about that. I think that's a lovely thing to do is to, whilst you're pregnant, write a letter to the baby, which your baby can read when they're much older. Also, some grandparents choose to do that Mm. as a way of welcoming the baby. I mean, we like to be welcomed, really. You know, we're often not welcomed. I think we like to be welcomed. And that's a nice way of welcoming. It's also a nice way of recording what your experience has been because you forget after a while. And then much later on, your child can read that. Which could be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. No, really helpful and really rich and really interesting. Mm. And what is there to look forward to? Some women don't want to give up being pregnant. They love it. Mm. You've got to be willing to give birth, to release the baby. Mm. Um, There's something, well, for me, and if I speak personally, there's something so complete about being pregnant. Perhaps it's the only time in my whole life when I felt so complete. I didn't need anybody or anything outside me other than to have some support, but I wasn't sort of needy of anything. Somehow I felt very complete, myself and my baby. And you'll never be as close again to your child as you will be when your child's in your womb. And for me, it was a wonderful experience. And... um, I don't think I was unwilling to give up. I think by about four days before the birth, I was thinking, okay, it's enough now. Because it does get quite heavy. Turning over at night, you need block and tackle on the ceiling to turn you over. You need lots of pillows. (laughs) And there comes a time I think, okay, now that's enough. I've, you know, my children were both a bit late, I think. I think this is enough now. So I don't think I had the problem of relinquishing. But some people find that they're so happy in this state that they're really sort of holding on to the baby. (laughs) But the pregnancy is started by the baby, ideally. They will initiate it when they're ready. And sometimes they're not ready till well past the due date. And if possible, allow yourself to be led by the baby. If it's more than two weeks overdue, then you will need daily surveillance. 
to make sure everything's okay. But it's um, important not to rush them into the world, providing everything is okay. But you can't go too long because the placenta will dry up and you won't have enough nourishment for them and there may not be enough fluid in the womb as well. And I think having a voice and speaking up for yourself is a good idea when mm. you're talking to the medical world. Mm-hmm. Go a bit with your intuition, but there's a point beyond which you can't go. And what do you mean by that? Well, when the baby's life's in danger, you must give birth, you must relinquish your baby. Mm. So I think two weeks is about the longest probably any obstetrician will allow you to go. Mm-hmm. Depending on your circumstances, they might go a couple of days more, but... There's a point where your body will no longer sustain the baby in your body. Mm -hmm. I like what you said earlier about it being the most natural thing in the world because there is so much intervention now. There is so much attempt to control birth. And as you say, it is a natural thing that we've been doing for eons. So to remember that I think is really important because some people see it as probably the biggest physical challenge of their life when actually if you surrender into it, your body will just know what to do. And if you move yourself out of the way, i.e. your sort of thinking brain, it will just happen if you sort of surrender to it. She says she's never pushed a child out (laughs) of her body, but... Yeah, I think that, um, you know, people have their individual experience. Some people give birth very quickly, very easily, without a second thought, really. I mean, I was two days in labour the first time, and I think that was partly my fear. Mm. And um, But the baby also has a part to play in all of this. This is a dual act, a, a duo, the two of you and the baby. I completely forgot that, actually, that I you know, didn't stay in touch with the baby when I was giving birth. But as I say, I didn't know what I know now. But, yeah, I think it's don't overthink everything, prepare in terms of informing yourself, but don't overdo it. You know, if you're comfortable having a birth at home, it's probably the best way to do it, because then you're not going to be in a hospital situation where you're going to have so much outside pressure. Mm. And um, you do need to have a very good midwife with whom you have a good relationship, that you've built up the relationship Because again, that midwife can be really supporting you to relax into the experience. So, so much of it is about relaxing and so much is about our mental attitude. And some of it may be about how we ourselves were born, what memories we have in our body that may also be relevant. So find out about your own birth. Mm. So it's it's absolutely make a birth plan, set up a plan and then let go of it. Mm. (laughs) And, And that's life. We can't control life. We can't control birth. It is about what will be, will be, but be well informed and be well supported. And how much of your own birth do you think influences how you give birth? Well, in my own personal situation, my mum gave birth very fast, but it was more about, I know very much about what happened in my birth because I've, I've reenacted it a few times. So you can, the memory of your birth is in your body. And so I know that the labour started. I didn't want to come out because the situation wasn't ideal for me. (laughs) So I didn't want to come out. So I think I'm staying high in the womb, not wanting to come out. And then my mum said, oh, well, I was in this wonderful natural birthing place and we just gave a little something to shake the apple tree. (laughs) I later discovered that what she was given was quinine, which is a really strong abortant. So I, in my reenacting of my birth, in my memory of my birth, was that this quinine came into the system. I no longer had any choice. So I came out really fast and what I believe happened was I more or less thought, well, okay, you know, screw you if you want me out and coming out. And I shot out, I think. 
so fast. Now, in my own first pregnancy, was a very long labour, and the second pregnancy was, I don't know, five or six hours or something, and completely natural with nothing, no intervention at all, which was great. But still hard pushing it out. I had big boys, you know, they were hard to push out. But as I say, the moment your baby's born, if you haven't had intervention, there's no more pain. It's amazing. I heard that there was a hormone that was released in the body after a woman has just given birth that erases the memory of the pain. Well, what happens is oxytocin is flowing in the body, which would probably erase the pain, but I don't think there's anything to cause the pain in any case. So the oxytocin that's flowing is what this wonderful opportunity for bonding is about. So the first hour after birth is when the oxytocin is most plentiful, and that's the love hormone. So that's when hopefully mum and baba fall in love. Mm. But that's not going around the father's or partner's body, whether it's mm. a female partner or a male partner. That's not going around their body. It's going around your body because you've given birth. Mm. So it may well have been designed for, you know, erasing pain. I don't know about that, but it's mm. certainly juicy, lovely stuff. And this is where the magic comes in. And this is where you don't want the in-laws and outlaws rushing in mm. to get in the way of that. Okay, and so to wrap up the episode about being pregnant in utero, what is something that you commonly hear, a myth perhaps that a lot of people tend to believe that is just not true and really gets your goat? I actually don't know what that is. I think the sort of not saying anything for 12 weeks I find upsetting because I think that that's not a great celebration of your baby's arrival. That's one of the things I think about. I suppose there's a, a myth that your life's coming to an end. Mm. <laughs> it's really not. It's just another step along the way. But I can't think of anything specific that I think, oh, I hear that over and over again. It's a myth. I'm not quite sure what the myths of being pregnant are. Mm -hmm. Can you think of one? I would say that it's incredibly painful and that it's going to be the worst day of your life or your vagina's going to rip. Oh, I think it is incredibly painful, but it's a meaningful pain with an yeah. incredible result. Mm. And I think if you're well cared for, you don't have to rip your vagina. It's whether you can just go to it slowly. Also, you can do a lot beforehand to make sure the perineum is a bit supple. So, you know, you can do yoga. You can do all sorts of things beforehand. You can put special oil on your perineum to make sure that there's more supple. Mm. And so I think that just listening to people saying, oh, God, it's the worst day of your life and, you know, have a cesarean and have an elective cesarean. Elective cesarean's not good for the baby. They're suddenly ripped out of your tummy because of complete shock. They don't have any idea what that's going to happen, mm. you know. And also you are not able to move your body afterwards after you've well, it's a major a operation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a stomach operation, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Some people just do it and you know just that's my preference but I feel it's better for lots of reasons to have a vaginal birth because as the baby's pushing its way through the birth canal all the nerve endings are being enlivened mm. and woken up also the baby is making the effort to be born and it helps them to come into the world in a way that they feel empowered that's so interesting I've never thought of that before wow you hear a lot about hormones spiking and sort of these crazy cravings for Mars bars in the middle of the night and things like that. Did you have any experiences like that yourself? Sadly not, no. I really wanted to be sending my husband out to buy me cherries at midnight or something. But <laughs> I think I had very uncomplicated, very easy, happy pregnancies. And part of that, I think, is even though I was 41 and 43, 
it was the right time for me. I was super happy to be pregnant. I felt very, very supported. I was very, very supported. And so it was all very blissful, to be honest. And um, I loved having babies. I loved looking after babies. I hit the deck when it came to toddlers. That was my stuff that came up then. But I found the whole baby side of it utterly enchanting. Mm. I have to say, I, I like the idea of being pregnant often if I've had a big meal and I'm stood in the mirror sort of rubbing my bloated belly I think oh it would be really nice (laughs) (laughs) but you know in those cases I'm with child with spaghetti um so that's a fantastic place to stop thank you Kitty you're welcome Katie how amazing is it to imagine growing a human being inside your belly It's such a miracle. Now, we started talking birth at the end there, and in our next episode, we dive even deeper. We talk what happens right after the birth, the wonders of juicy oxytocin flooding, baby and parents' needs, postnatal depression, and optimal bonding. 